Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. We're, we are two weeks away from finishing, um, if that excites you. No, this has been a really good series that we've been doing um, called Hashtag Asking for a Friend, where we, a few months ago, it seems like a long time ago now, we, we asked you guys to give us Tell us the questions that your friends or that you were asking, hard questions about about the faith, about Christianity, about God, um, about life. And man, our community really responded and gave us, we had hundreds of questions come in and we had to narrow it down. Um, It's why this series has gone on for such a long time, because we had some really good topics and we wanted to get them all in. Um, And so... Tonight's topic um, is actually sort of a, again, very broad, from narrowed down from a whole stack of questions that we got in, um, around, basically around the way that we use our time, the way that we use our free time. Um, how do we, what do we do with ourselves when we're not working? We live in a culture where everybody is working hard so that they can then knock off work and be entertained. We love to entertain one another. We love to be entertained. And so we want to think about tonight, as Christian people, as people who know Jesus, as people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel, is, does that make a difference or should it make a difference in the way we think about and the way we make choices surrounding entertainment? How do, we, how do we spend money in a way that is distinctly Christian? How do we use our talents in ways that are distinctly uh, Christian? How do we use social media in a way that is distinctly Christian? Is it okay for me as a Christian to watch this film or this series? Um, what should I share on Facebook? These are some of the questions that you guys actually asked, and so we're going to be kind of addressing a few of these things um, tonight. Um, what, where we're going, just to let you know, is to hopefully give you a series of principles that you can apply quite broadly to a whole range of different situations. This isn't just about um, choosing what to watch on TV, or it's not just about Facebook, although we will talk about each of these things. We're going to look at a particularly lengthy section of Scripture from the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and give you a series of eight questions, that um, just walking through that passage, that you can then use to apply to a whole host of um, uh, sort of questions around this area. But before we go there, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into it. Lord, thank you um, so much for the opportunity to open your word together tonight as your people. Lord, we are, are so happy, Lord, that, we, that you, have, you have chosen us. You have chosen us to be your children. You have chosen us to be here um, tonight, Lord. And we, we come expectantly to your word, asking that you, through your spirit, would do your work on our hearts, Lord, that you would open our, our minds and our thoughts and help us to be yeah, teachable and, and, and humble and, and willing and eager to change for your sake and for the sake of your world that you've created. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I want to start out tonight with some statistics that 
might be in, of interest to you. They were interesting to me, um, partly because I'm, well, I'm in the position that I'm in as a, as a pastor, but also um, because I have kids. I have four kids um, that are young, all in school, um, all at home right now, trying on their costumes for book week, which um, this is a first for us. We don't do this, in, we didn't do this in China or where we were living and didn't do it in the U.S., but love it. So I've got all these little Alice in Wonderlands and everybody running around at home, but I'm going to give you some statistics and, um, that you can think about. Um, this, the, the first statistic comes from America, where I uh, grew up, um, but I think it could, it's relevant here, too. The average American adult, and this was done last year, the average American adult spends 74 hours a week looking at a screen, and that includes for work and for leisure, 74 hours a week. Now... If that same average adult sleeps about six hours a day, so some people sleep more than that, but let's say six hours a day, if you do the math, you'll find out that it's two-thirds of the time, two-thirds of the time that the average American adult spends awake, that person is looking at a screen of some sort. Um, It also means a significant number of adults spend more than two-thirds of their waking time looking at a screen. Now, I'm, not, I'm just putting that number out there. I'm not saying that's bad. Um, it just, it is what it is. So we're going to think about that. But surely in Australia, maybe we're do, where it's better or it's different. Um, there wasn't a similar study of adults that I found from Australia, but they have done one for kids. Um, there's a group called the Australian Institute for Family Studies, and they studied kids between the, uh, well, different ages, but so kids between the ages of four and five, so this is before they start school, between four and five, they are spending around two hours per weekday uh, looking at a screen of some sort, which is actually what if you, um, if you ask like a, a, a doctor, a medical professional, they would say that's about okay. Um, when it's 12, ages 12 to 13, that number increases to nearly three hours a day. And, on, and that's on the weekdays. On the weekends, these same preteens in Australia, they spend over three hours a day on average looking at a screen. Now, screen time is not the only kind of entertainment that's available out there, but it is encompassing more and more of our lives, more and more of our kids' lives. Um, I... I don't, I, I'm not that old, but I will say that when I, when I was a kid, like when I was really little, like we only had, we had one TV, in our, one TV screen in our house, and it was in color, and um, there was one remote that controlled it, and my dad controlled that, um, and, but... You think about it, there's only a, there was only a limited number of programs, and you could only watch one program at a time, everybody had to watch the same one, and there's only a limited number of things that you could actually watch. And now, the, like, as, you know, my kids, you know, they're, I've, my youngest is five, and she knows how to use uh, an iPhone. She walks around with, she doesn't have her own, but she walks around with it, and on that phone contains more hours of child-friendly programming that you could possibly watch in a lifetime on, on just one little device that you can carry in your pocket. And this has definitely changed and shaped childhood in the, in the world, in, the, in what that looks like. Um, so as Christians, 
do we, what do we have to say about this? What do we have to, how should we be thinking about it? We live in a world of constant and instant entertainment. So should we just, you know, sprinkle a little gospel in there and, and basically make the same choices, have the same priorities as everybody else? Um, or should we be different? Um, when I preached this, I did preach this message a few weeks ago down in Glenelg. Some of you would have been there and heard it or have heard the podcast. And um, I was very conscious that I was talking to a group of people whose very lives and careers are going to be impacted by technology as it's changing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm looking at people that I know are their their jobs are in social media. That's that's all that they do for for work, and it's creating huge new avenues um, to for the you know for the for the betterment of human existence for human flourishing and it's it's amazing and this is even true when you think about that from a gospel or a church planning perspective i i I don't want you to walk away thinking that oh this is a a, here a preacher talking about how technology and the internet and social media is all bad 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 that's not what i'm saying because i want to give you the the possibilities the things that god is sovereignly doing using all sorts of new technologies to do some amazing things around the world i just want to i want to throw this in here for you um I, I alluded to this a minute, you know, for seven years I was doing, we were doing church planning in a very sort of, not remote, but a fairly restricted place in um, Asia, in China. In China, you may have known this from the news, but there's a lot of websites like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all those things are blocked. You can't get on them without a VPN in China. However, um, I will tell you that I had never, the first time I ever heard of City Light Church was sitting in my office in China, Googled it, and heard the, I knew a, a little, I knew of Don at the time, our pastor down in Glenelg, and he, and so, and, and heard the podcast. You know, so all these things are, are censored and blocked in China, but thanks to the internet, the, the wonders of the internet, the gospel is not blocked in China. The gospel is, is going out in, in, in the remotest, most restricted places in the world, places like North Korea, places you hear about in the news, happening because of new technology, social media, and the like. Many of, of you that have come along to this church came because you did a Google search, and this, you know, City Light always comes up number one. Somebody knows how to make that happen. It, it wasn't me, but somebody does. And um, so that's the way that God is using new technology to do the work of the kingdom, do the work of, of the gospel. Um, to give you a couple of other examples, we worked, um, uh, some friends of ours worked with a, a very sensitive a minority uh, people group in China that you can't, as a, as a Westerner or as a, you know, an out there Christian person, you can't really go out and live in these areas. But what you can do is you can create websites and web content and uh, apps and things like that that are targeted, that are in the language of this area and can be using things like Google AdWords can be actually, you can target neighborhoods with ads to download the Bible and, and other gospel literature, and then you can actually track. It's not like in the old days when you're using satellite radio and you have no idea if anyone's listening to it or not. Now we know who's down, who's clicking on these things and, and where they are, and so we know where you know, missionaries and church planters need to go. Because, and, that, and that's all through the wonderful technology of Google and social media. And these are, these are ways that God is using these things to advance his kingdom. So I am not saying that at all, that these things are, are evil or should be avoided at all costs. 
what we're trying to do tonight is to be able to celebrate what the, the good and the potential and the possibilities of things like our free time, things like social media, things like the internet, and then think about those, some of the things that we need to be careful of, the ways that um, we can be conformed not to Jesus but to the world by the way that we use these things. All right, so that's, what we're go- that's where we're going. Um, technology is not the problem. Social media is not the problem. God has granted us the wisdom, the capability to create things and use time in such a way to bring him glory, to further the spread of the gospel, to benefit the common good. Um, But to paraphrase the book of James in the New Testament, with technology and social media, we can bring praise to God, our Father, and with it we can curse people. Um, the same, very same smartphone technology, which many of us use to now to read and listen to the Bible, um, can be used to, you know, view and share very vile and soul-crushing things. So technology itself is not the problem. Just like for Adam and Eve, apples were not the problem. It was what they did with an opportunity to, to sin, to rebel uh, against God, to go their own way. It's that evil desire that was in them. That was the problem. Okay. And, and that's where we're going. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 13 says this. And this applies to Christians. This, this verse, and I, this is written to people who are Christians, who have been saved by grace through faith. Paul says this. For if you, Christian, live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the question we need to ask ourselves is how can we use and enjoy our free time, entertainment, media, technology without feeding these desires of the flesh? And we're going to answer that question with a series of questions, like I said, that come from Ephesians chapter 5. And hopefully by using these questions, we can discern whether my choices or what I, my behavior is feeding the flesh or is, is feeding the spirit. So I'm going to read, this is from Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read, it's fairly long, verses, starting in verse 1 down to verse 21. So it's, it's on the, it should be on the screen so you can follow along. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, and, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I mean, we could just talk about, we could talk about that verse, but we'll, we'll move on. Let, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. First question that we're going to look at. Now, these these words were written about 2,000 years ago, but very applicable for us today as we navigate these difficult decisions and try to avoid feeding the desires of the flesh. Um... Question number one, does my use, and I'm going to say this, this is my use of my time, this is my use of technology, my use of social media, does my use lead me to imitate God or the world? Does it lead me to imitate God or the world? That's what it says in verse one, be imitators of God. Paul's talking here to those who are the children of of God. These are Christians who have been adopted from outside and brought into the family because of and on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So if, if you're a Christian, this is you. This, you're, you're a child of God. If, if that's not you, if you haven't yet believed, if you haven't yet come into the family, know that it is a free gift, that it's for anyone who believes in, the, in, in Jesus' saving work on the cross on your behalf, that you then have the right to become a child of God, to be adopted into the family. And that's your first order of business is to, to turn and, and, and believe what the gift that is on offer for you. You're adopted into a new family. Now, think about this language. Just as children, when, when children come into the world, they don't come in as fully mature adults. They come in as, as infants that need to learn a lot of things. And one of the, things, one of the first things a child learns at age, about age one is how to walk. How to walk. And so think about this. I, I don't know if any of you, if you've been around the church for a long time, you may have heard Christians talk about, the, use language of my walk with God or walking with Jesus or my Christian walk or learning to walk. Um, and we use that as sort of, we're sort of familiar with that language. It's sort of a kind of a cliche, I guess. But it's in the Bible and where it comes from, it, the, the image that should be popping into your head is the image of you and I, we are like little kind of one-year-olds with wobbly legs, and we're trying to learn to walk in a certain way. And the way that children learn to walk is by imitating those around them that walk, that know how to walk. They imitate the adults around them. That's how they learn how to talk. That's how they learn how to walk and do many, many other things. It's through imitation. And so when, when Paul is, tells us again and again to walk in a certain way, it's this same idea. To, be, to imitate God, to look at God, to look at Jesus, to look at other people around you that are walking like Jesus, and then learn to walk like them. Imitate them. 
That's what discipleship is. If you've ever heard that word, think of that concept. Discipleship is learning to walk in a manner that is like Jesus. That's discipleship. That's learning to walk. And the good news is this, is that if you are in Christ, if you are his child, if you're in his family, then you can do this. You have the Spirit of God in you that makes it possible for you to actually imitate God. It makes it possible for you to walk. Now, one of the ways, one of the best ways I think that God teaches us how to imitate Him is by placing us in a community around other people who are also walking like Him. Think about this. If you want to grow in being thankful or being grateful, one of the best things that you can do is be around, surround yourself by, with people or, you know, that, that includes authors or podcasts, but best would, I'd say, actual people that are thankful and grateful. And the more you surround yourself with people like that, then you too become thankful. You grow in thankfulness. You learn to, to imitate God by imitating the people around you. And so this is a question that we have to think about when we think about how we use our time is if we spend all of our downtime, all of our free time surrounding ourselves with the inputs of the world, then we are without a lot of effort and thought and consciousness, we are going to be imitating the world in the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we worry, the way that we make plans, the way that we dream. We need to surround ourselves with people who are worthy of imitating, that we might imitate God. Imitation comes very naturally to children, and it should come naturally to us as the children of God. When we were, um, again, when we were living in China, we did, I did three years of language school, of studying Mandarin, and that's one of the first things that a teacher would say when you're learning a foreign language is think about who you want to surround yourself with. What sort of accent do you want to have? Because in China, like, the accents and the dialects are so varied, so you want to make sure if you're going for a particular kind of dialect that you spend time with people who actually speak that dialect. If you're wanting to do, you know, if you're there wanting to do ministry or business and you want to sound like an intelligent, educated person, then you need to be copying the Mandarin of intelligent, educated people. You know, otherwise, if you're trying to reach working class people, then hang out with working class people because we just naturally imitate. Um, my wife, who's not here, um, she tells me that, my, that I tend, my accent changes depending on who I'm around. That if I'm, you know, she always can tell if I pick up the phone, if I'm talking to her mom, because she's like, oh, you sound really Australian. I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, yes, you do. Yeah, you too. I can tell if you're talking to somebody from Kentucky, where I'm from, because she's like, I take on that, that accent. And it's, it's subconscious. And, and that doesn't just apply to the way we, we talk. It applies to how we, we think. And man, you spend, I spend, you know, three hours a day flicking through Facebook or doing, you know, binge watching Netflix, and I spend five minutes a day in prayer. Do you think that we're going to start, I'm just going to naturally by osmosis start imitating God? No way. Imitation happens with intentional choices of who we're going to be spending time with and surrounding and what 
the input we're getting. So that's question number one. Does my use lead me to imitate God or the world? Question number two, does my use make me a better lover of people? Does my use of time, technology, make me a better lover of people? To imitate Christ at the very least, at the very basic level, means to love people sacrificially. That's the example Paul uses here in verse 2, and walk in love. You know, with little wobbly legs, but walk in love, just as Christ loved us perfectly and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's, that's, that's who we're following. We're following the one who loved us all the way to the cross. And uh, a lot of us Christians, we get conditioned by our use of time and the media around us to be very cynical and callous toward people around us. And we got to think about that. We, you know, the media, we, man, and you see this, even you see it in the news all the time. I'm just watching, um, you know, what's happening in the U.S. at the moment. And, and, and the media in the U.S. is just, they, like, as horrible as the, some of the news that, you know, comes out, the media loves it. They love to feed the narrative of people hating and fighting with each other and being horrible to each other. And make no mistake, people can be horrible to each other, but the media plays that up because it feeds on your fear, it feeds on your anxiety, but it also colors the way that you see other people. It gives us a very negative and cynical outlook on the world that makes it difficult for us to be sacrificially loving. So we need to think about that. Think about... Think about someone in your life just this week who you've seen something that you can, that's just good, that you can affirm, and spend some time thinking about ways that you can do that, even to yourself or to them, and just to counterweight the narrative that's all around us that people are, are you know, just horrible and, and everything is bad. And, like, we need to learn to train ourselves to see the good in people. I'm not talking about this in a sort of ecumenical, everybody, you know, um, it, doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, that everybody is all basically good. That's not what I'm saying. But we can see through common, God's common grace, we can learn to see the good in people and learn to love people well. Question number three. Does my use help me to glorify God with my language? Does my use of time, technology, etc., help me to glorify God with my language? This is all through this passage, twice. Once in verse um, 3, about all the, these evil things must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And then again, in verse, uh, a little bit down the line, it says, take no... Um, just don't even speak about these things. Sorry, verse 12. For it's shameful to even to speak of these things that they do in secret. So God cares very much about the way that we use our language. And so does my use of these things help me um, in how to speak? Um, Paul is saying here that Christians, as Christians, we need to be modest. We often associate that word just with the way we dress. But it's actually, there's a lot of application to what it means to be modest. We need to be modest when in talking about what is evil, what is shocking, what is sensational, and extravagant when it talks, comes to talking about what is good. And again, the world and the media trains us to do the exact opposite. 
the world and the media, and including Facebook, and you know, it trains us to talk a lot about what is sensational and bad and horrible and awful, and very little about what's good. Um, if I were to ask you, what are the last five things that you reacted to or shared on social media, how many of those th- would be things that are you know, basically gossipy, mocking, bizarre, cringeworthy, uh, strange, depraved. But Paul says here, don't even talk about things that are crude, foolish, and depraved. Instead, instead, he's not just giving a rule, he's giving us an instead. Here's what's better. Use your words to be thankful. I do get a bit concerned when I see the way that some of us conduct ourselves on on Facebook. This is um, on social media in general. Like like I said, there's a lot of good that comes from it, but man, like some of some people I know, like I'm not saying anybody in here, but some people I know, you need to learn how to like at least adjust your privacy settings because like everything that you like or comment on comes up on my wall, on my Facebook wall, whatever the feed. And I'm just like, whoa, man, <laughs> there's some pretty not nice stuff. And, and some of you all need to repent, I think, um, really. And, 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 and me too. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just pointing. I, this is for me as well. Paul says this, and my, I can hear my mom saying this too, you know, in Philippians, but it's a, good, it's a good passage. I could basically just read this passage and just leave it here. Philippians 4, verse 8, it says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In short, if it's worthy of praise, if it's excellent, then talk it up. If not, just leave it. Just don't go there. Your voice is a gift from God, and it's not given. He didn't give it to you so that you could spread filth. He gave it to you to spread worship. And, and, and we've got to be really intentional about thinking, how can I use it? How can I use the voice that he's given me for good, for, for the gospel? Question number four. Does my use take seriously the sins for which Jesus was crucified? Does the use of my time, et cetera, take seriously the sins for which Jesus was crucified? And here Paul spells out one of the key reasons why, as Christians, we shouldn't spend time dwelling on and talking about things that are depraved. Because by making jokes about evil and wickedness, we train our minds and we signal to the world that the stuff that Jesus died for, the stuff that Jesus was suffered and killed for on the cross, that it's not that big of a deal, that this sin stuff isn't that bad. We can just kind of laugh at it and giggle at it. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's no big deal. But that's not our song as Christians. We've got a different song, and our song is this. Eat, drink, and be merry, for yesterday we were dead, and now we're alive. And that's a totally different song than the song that's being sung by the world. We know joy because we have been rescued from death. We don't don't need to laugh and, and make jokes about evil to have joy. We've got joy that's so much better that the world doesn't know about, and we get to tell them. 
Some of you might object to this. You know, because this is where we get into a tricky thing about should I or shouldn't I watch this show? Should I or shouldn't I share this thing on Facebook? Um, and we're all a work in process. You know, I, I don't, I'm not trying to give you specific rules, but I will, I do, just for the sake of argument, I am going to bag on just one show. So I apologize if it's your favorite one. But I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm going to go there because I'm going to be controversial. Um, what about, you know, and the reason, part of the reason I'm going to go there is because it is on TV right now, and it's been in the, in the media. I, I follow a, a blog called the Gospel Coalition, and a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys who writes on there wrote, a pat, wrote an article saying, I don't get why Christians watch the Game of Thrones. So that was the title, and it was very short, and he gave some reasons why he said that. And... Um, that article is one of the most, by far, commented articles of the year. Um, like over 2,000 comments, and it's still going. And that was just, just two weeks ago. A lot of the comments were supportive. Um, a lot of them were not at all supportive. I mean, this, there were comments like from Christian people that I was like, wow. I mean, they were just like, I, I'm not going to even... But like some really angry people saying, how, how dare you as a Christian tell me what I, what I shouldn't be watching. Um, so I, you know, I've been thinking about this. Um, and <laughs> the, the article referred back to a, a one that was slightly earlier writ, written by American pastor John Piper. And I'm just going to read what he says. So if you are mad, you can be mad at him. <laughs> um, he said this. He said, The closer I get to death and meeting Jesus personally face to face, and giving an account for my life and for the careless words that I've spoken. And he's like in his 70s. The more sure I am of my resolve to never intentionally to look at a television show or movie or website or magazine where I know I will see photos or films of nudity. Now, he was saying that in response to someone asking about Game of Thrones. Okay, never. That is my resolve. And the closer I get to death... The better I feel about that and the more committed I become. Frankly, I want to invite all Christians to join me in the pursuit of greater purity of heart and mind. In our day when entertainment media is virtually the common language of the world, this is an invitation to be an alien. And I believe with all my heart that what the world needs is radically bold, sacrificially loving, God-besotted aliens... In other words, I'm inviting you to say no to the world for the sake of the world. The world does not need more cool, hip, culturally savvy, irrelevant copies of itself. That is a hoax that has duped thousands of young Christians, and it is undoing them morally and undoing their witness. I like to think of Paul here as one of these God-besotted aliens. He says in Ephesians 5, don't even talk about these deeds of darkness. It's not proper. And when he's saying that, that, he's not saying that proper in the sense of Victorian morality. He's not saying, it's not proper, I can't think of it. You know, he's saying as a Christian, as a child of God who's been saved from these things, it is not who you are. It's not who you are anymore. You were. It's not who you are. It's not proper. This is why Jesus was crucified. And I do want to say, though, because one of the main, I told you 2,000 comments on that, one of the main 
sort of argument pushbacks that people give and say, hang on, I've read the Bible, I've read the Old Testament, I've read the book of Judges, there's some pretty sordid stuff in here. It's, there's some not safe for work stuff in here. How can, you be, how can you be critical of stuff that's on TV when we've got all this stuff in here? Well, here's my response to that. The Bible tells us in two places in the New Testament, once in Romans 15, once in 1 Corinthians 10, that everything, every story, every sentence, every punctuation mark that's there is there for our instruction. It's there for our instruction. You read through the book of Judges, for example, which where we have a lot of these kind of stories that kind of will, you know, are very shocking. Um, they're not there to get ratings. They're not, God isn't after your wallet. He's not getting paid by advertisers. He's after your heart. He's after your joy. And that motivation is, is so different. It's so different. Everything is in here that we might look at these shocking depictions of evil that are here and go, this is what life is like when we say no to God, when we run away from God, when we harden our hearts against God and run out after our own and try to make ourselves gods. That's what happens to us. That's what happens to society. That's what happens to the vulnerable and the oppressed. That's why those stories are there. They're not there to, for our entertainment. They are there for our instruction. Question number five. Does my use of media and time help others to identify me as a child of God? Paul reminds the Christians in Ephesians not to partner with the so-called sons of disobedience. He says that in verse 6. Don't partner with the sons of disobedience. Those who are perishing, dying because of sin. In other words, we need to walk and live in such a way that other people don't mistake us for dying people. We need to look different. Our lives need to radiate the fact that we have been washed. We've been bought with the very blood of Jesus. And we are meant to look and speak differently than the, the world around us. Piper t called it being an alien. We're meant to be a bit uncomfortable in the world. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4. He says, in the past, you used to live like the world does living in sensuality and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking party and parties, and lawless idolatry. And then he says, with respect to this, they, meaning the world, are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of, flood of debauchery, and they malign you. That is an essential part of our witness, of our being a light in the world, is that people can see a difference. They see light because light shines in the midst of darkness. And, and this does not mean from now on that you now can only listen to so-called Christian music or Christian movies. I'm not suggesting that you go, everybody needs to go melt their smartphone, you know, or your CDs. Like I, I was at camp where we, some people did that a um, long time ago. Um, but some of us will need to do some serious assessment. Paul's saying in verse 8 here that you once were, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, once you were 
darkness, but now you're a light. Notice he doesn't say that you were in darkness and now you're in light. He says you were darkness and now you are light. That's who you are. That's why he's saying it's not proper for you to speak and make jokes about things that are crude because that's just, it's not who you are. You're, you're light. Now you are united and joined with Jesus. That's how you're like. Jesus is the light of the world. And now by being joined to him and adopted in his family, now you also are light. You are light. Walk in it. Question number six. Does my use help me discern God's mission for my life? One of the reasons this metaphor of light, again, is so apt is that it helps you and me to find the right path to walk on and it helps others to find the right path to walk on when we are surrounded by darkness. And it's such an essential part of our mission in the world. Verse 10, Paul says it this way. Here's the mission. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, what is good and right and true. How do we do that? By refusing to participate in sin, but instead exposing it. Now, that is not the word exposing sin don't hear that as being, you know, pointing our fingers at other people who are blind and in darkness and going, oh, that, you know, let's name and shame them. No. He's saying we expose sin by being light, by looking different, not by judging and, you know, shaming and talking down to other people. It just says by being light. That's how we expose sin because we, the contrast becomes so apparent. The joy that we have becomes so apparent, and it's, it's, con- it's contagious. It's, you know, people want it, and people need it. The more you make good choices in how you use your time and money and opportunities and talents, the more your life is a lighthouse to people whose lives are crashing against the rocks. Paul's telling us here to wake up. Don't sleep your way through life just casually doing what the world wants you to do with your time. But let the world know that Jesus is the one thing worthy of all of your time and your devotion. That they would know that your delight is in Him. That your trust is in Him. That's, that's part of our mission. And that's the purpose that Jesus has for us. And when we don't think about this in the area of entertainment and free time, then we we miss it. Question number seven, does my use reflect the reality that life is short? Verse 15, Paul says to walk carefully. Just again, think of a a little kid walking. You've got to walk carefully. That's why we put those little rubber things on the corners of the coffee table because you you, you can fall over. You can fall over, and so you need, to, you need to be careful. You need to walk carefully. Make the best use of the time, he says, because the days are evil. Walk in light. Don't walk around in a dark room because you could step on Legos. And it hurts. Um, Jesus is coming soon, very soon, either when we die or when he returns physically. And either way, that's not a long time. And so we're responsible here to use for the way that we use the number of days, the limited number of days that he's given us. We're charged here by Scripture to understand and discern what is the will of God, how we can please him. It is possible to please God as a Christian. 
It's not possible to, when you're not a Christian to please God in such a way that he gives you, then he makes you a Christian or he saves you based on what you've done. That's not possible. But once he has saved you through nothing that you've done, by grace, he saved you, it is possible to please God. It really is. It's possible as a child of God to please your father, that you could be thinking about your father saying to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those parables that Jesus told her for a reason. You know, how is it that we get to make choices that please God? Well, first, you've got to want to. You really do have to want to please him. And that's what it means when he's saying, consider carefully how you use your time. You know, he's not saying don't ever rest, don't ever have fun. No way. Like laughter and leisure and all rest, all these things are soul strengthening. They are necessary. But don't let your free time just get sucked away by things that are mindless, things that are trivial, things that are empty, things that kill off relationships through lack of attention, and they rob you of your passion for God and for, uh, ultimately for life itself. You know, media are a lot like casinos, Facebook included. They continue to exist. They continue to make money because they capture more and more of your time. Netflix has gone on the record saying their number one competitor is sleep. True. And (laughs) it's only 10 bucks a month, right? Netflix. Facebook, it's free. But the cost to your soul, if used unwisely, can be fatal. It could cost you everything. And think about, just think about the time that you spend weekly in worship, in prayer, in fellowship with other believers versus the time that you spend on social media. Again, not saying social media is bad, but just think about it for a minute and ask yourself, is this a wise use of my time? Which leads us to the final question. Does my use make me a more generous church member? See, the will of God is wrapped up in his people being together and being in community. You were made for community, and unfortunately in the world that we live in, the way that we often use technology is, anti, is completely anti-community. It is anti-relationship. So in verse 18 and 19, Paul says here, don't get drunk. And the reason, the reason for that is because if you're drunk, you're basically useless. You're no, of no use to anybody except to be mocked. He, he's saying don't get drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit so that you are thus useful to other people, that you can speak words of life and encouragement. That's the Psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs. That's what you were, you're made for. You know, we tend to think of worship as a very private thing that we do on our own or in the car. But here, we're meant to speak out Scripture. We're meant to sing, not just to God, but to other people. It's a community thing. And so when you are absent from gatherings like this, we, we miss your voice. The body misses your presence. We're to be generous with our time with each other. Are you investing your time, your talent, your treasure in Christian community, in the local church? 
out of reverence for Christ. In verse 21, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. This actually happens when we're together. Being together, it is out of reverence for Jesus. You know, people say, oh, I don't really get anything out of church. I don't get anything. I might, you know, out of being with, with other people. I can just listen to a podcast or I can just be with God out in nature. Out of reverence for Christ, we submit ourselves to one another. One of the clearest ways that you can sanctify, make holy, make your free time look different than the world around you is to commit yourself to a local church. It could be this one, or it could be anyone that preaches the gospel of Jesus faithfully. I mean, we invite you to this one. I hope these eight questions have been and will be helpful to you as you navigate the amazing world that we live in, the brave new world. You know, you don't have to hide from the world to be holy. You don't have to be a hermit. But you do need to think intentionally about the ways that technology and the new medias that we have can change you and impact you in ways that are not godly, that you can recognize the danger and opportunities for gospel impact. And you need to discern how to please God in this context in 2017 in North Adelaide, in your household. And by God's grace, it's possible. So again, with Paul, some of you know this one, it's Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect for your good and for your joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us enough to enter history as a man in a body, that you died in our place, that you rose again, so that anyone who turns to Jesus might be saved. May we come to know you and your people face to face, that our joy would just overflow and that the light of Christ would shine in the world that's stumbling around in darkness, unaware that joy really is within reach. May our discernment and our choices be that you are pleased, that we would hear from you well done, and that we might say to one another, to our kids, to our friends, whatever you've seen in us, do those things. By grace may it be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.